0: through this Advent season, we will continue through the book of First John. As Brett so eloquently said, it is before Second John. And um, we will be there through the remainder of this calendar year. And I think it's fitting that we find ourselves here this time of year. Um, it was not just by chance, but obviously God's sovereign. Tea that we are here and working through this text during this the season, and as we do this morning, I, I just want to give you just three things, if I could. Um, and, and the first is 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 how this letter um, leans us toward this the season we're in, the focus of this season of of Christ's comings, and we'll, so we'll see that. And then I, I want us to see, okay, well, in between. Christ's coming in his first coming and his second coming, what are you and I called to? What are we simply called to? And I'm going to use that word simply because I think there's a simple truth in this text that, that John wants us to walk away with, that John had in mind with his, his audience, that the Holy Spirit, that Christ, that the Father wanted us to, to know and to make sure was present in our life because of what Christ did in his first coming and in response to the fact that he's coming again how shall we live what what are we called to and so there's a simple truth in this text and I I think it's so fitting because this time of year a lot of times it's not simple right I mean a lot of times when that calendar man turns to November and December even in October when we start turning the calendar we start looking at things and we're like man really and 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 you know, October's gone and November comes and November flies and then Thanksgiving's here and then Thanksgiving's gone and, and then we start realizing, oh my goodness, there's, there's so much that happens between now and, and the end of the year. With the office parties, with, with Christmas gatherings, with, with planning and, and, and buying gifts and, and on all the pressure of the season, I, I think this morning is just a good text for us to say, okay, in, in the midst of it all, in the midst of it all, how can I just live this, this simple truth? What, what am I simply called to? What, what is Christ calling me to? And when I use the word simple this morning, I, just, I don't want you to think, oh, this is just easy. It's just easy. No, not, not that kind of simple, right? We all love that. We all would love that. I want to hear that it's easy. I want to hear something easy. No, it's, it's, it's simple in the sense of, hey, listen, it's, this is the one thing. This is the one thing that that Christ wants for us, the one thing. I mean, don't we love if if our to-do list just had one thing on it, if the calendar just had one thing every day on it? And I think when John comes and says, hey, here's here's the simple truth, this one thing that Jesus wants for us that at the end of the day if if we have this one thing if we do this one thing then we did we lived exactly what god wanted us for specifically for this day we we did what he longed for us to do and i see i think that's what we see in this text and i hope you see that and and so here's what we're going to do we're going to look first I, w- I want you to look with me at the text and see advent right See Advent in this letter. And so if you would, before we get to our, our main text today that Brett read, look back. Isabel talked about this last week. Um, but look at verse 5 of chapter 3. And look at what John talks about. Because this season is, is more than just a season. Um, but, but what we're talking about through the season of Advent is really something that deals with our life ever so personally, it impacts every person in here. And what is that? Well, look at verse five of chapter three. John says, you know that he appeared. So the center stage focus is on Jesus, that Jesus appeared, that he came in order to take away sins. And and so John puts in focus the first coming of Jesus, that, that he came for a purpose, to take away sins. But look what he says in verse eight. He says, at the end of verse 8, the Son of God, Jesus, appeared for this purpose. So he came again in his first coming for this reason, for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And so what are we celebrating in the coming of Christ? When we sing the songs that, man, away in the manger, when we think of Jesus as a babe, and swaddling clothes and, and all the songs and all the lingo around this season. What was the purpose? What was the reason of God, Jesus, in heaven with the Father, coming and taking on skin, taking on human flesh, becoming a servant who dwelt among us? What was his purpose? And, and John says real clearly, to take away sin and to destroy the works of God the devil. And so when we think about taking away sin, what it means is that he came, and as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he became obedient to the will of the Father. That The will of the Father was that his son would come and he would die. You see, Jesus didn't just come as a, as a mere man to live a good life, to be a good teacher, and to die this, this you know, valiant death on a cross among criminals. I mean. That's just not the whole point of the story. The point of the story is that he came and he became a sin bearer. He bore sin. The Bible says the Father made the Son become sin on the cross. That Jesus bore sin on the cross so that you and I, the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, could become the righteousness of God in him so that we could have a right relationship with the Father through what? Through Jesus taking on our sin. And so he came for that. That's why Jesus came. That's the the reason we celebrate this season is our problem that we cannot fix. He came to be the answer. He came as a solution. The solution. As the way, the truth, and the life. And then it says that he came to destroy the works of the enemy. Well, what what does that mean? Well, Well, think about the works of the enemy. I mean, there are many. We've seen them even this week. Whether it's on a highway in Lindell, texas with a guy who who takes down a a dps officer on the road i mean we we see it daily we see the evil works in many wicked ways of the enemy but the wicked ways of the enemy are many but i think in john's letter how we see it is we see that the enemy longs to lure us he longs to tempt us with sin that we would practice sin, that we would live in immorality. Why would I begin there? Because that's what the enemy's about. He's the originator of sin. We we see in the Bible that he rebelled against God, and he is the one who has brought sin, obviously, into the picture. And his goal for us is that we would sin, that we would sin, 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 sin. That's what he wants for us, because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. That's why the enemy came. And so if he can get us to sin, he can destroy our lives. He can mess our lives up. He can get us away from what God intended us to live for. I mean, so that's one work. Another work of the enemy is, is, is physically he wants to hurt us. He wants to inflict disease and illness on us. And not only that, but the enemy wants us, and I think this is one of the worst of all. Obviously, sin is bad, you betcha. He wants us to not believe. He wants us to fall into error, to believe what is not true and ultimately not believe the gospel. And that's obviously the evil work of the enemy. And so we think about the works of the enemy, and that's what Christ came to destroy. He came to remove the power and the effect of sin. He came to remove the overcoming effects of illness and disease, and he came to remove and to conquer error and falsehood with the truth, and ultimately with himself, the gospel. So that's why Christ came, and we look today and we say, well, 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 how come if he came to destroy those works, how come they're not gone? How come they're not just completely gone? Well, for you and I who, who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the, the works of, of the enemy, the idea is they no longer have an effect on us like they did before. We're, we're no longer enslaved to those works. We're, we're no longer empowered by those works. They, they no longer have the effect on us that they did before. And so how does that look like? Well, we're, we're, we're tempted to sin where, where before we were not able to overcome that. Now we can't. Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus and what he's done for us. And where we get sick today, we no longer have to fall into despair and hopelessness. We are not afraid of death. Because why? As Paul says, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? Why? Well, now Christ is our victory. And so even when we get sick or we get with an illness, they maybe even will end at our death. We look at death and we say, oh, death, you have no power over me because I have eternal life. And then we look at falsehood and we look at air and no longer has a power over us because we know the truth. And so we're no longer enslaved by the works of the enemy because they have been destroyed for us. And when Christ returns one day, the final complete destruction and all that where he brings in his kingdom will be fulfilled. And so what John wants us to see is the glory of Christ coming and what it means for us as believers and also that he's coming again. Look at chapter two, verse 28, because look what he says here. He says, now little children abide in him, so remain in him. Remain in the truth, re- remain in, in what you know about Christ and, and hold on to that dearly and deeply, so that when He appears, when He comes again, so there's that second coming, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him. And so that we would look during the season, but not only just the season, but with our life, waiting, expecting, anticipating that Jesus is coming again, and that we're full of confidence. Not shrinking back because we're falling into sin or because we're falling into falsehood or error, but that we are living for Christ, loving his truth, and abiding in him, and we are waiting. We're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come, 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 because we long for your presence. We long to be with you forever. So, John, that's the spirit that he wants to stir up in this text. And he's saying, in light of those bookends, of those comings, it's not just about a season to celebrate, but it's a life to be lived. And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, that's why I love this letter, because he tells us. He tells us. And so look at verse 23. <laughs> All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk backwards a little bit this morning. But look at verse 23, and I want you to hear this simple truth, this one thing that he says, in light of the coming of Christ, what does Jesus call us to do? And here's what John says in verse 23. This is his commandment. It's singular. It's that one thing that we do this. We believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ. We love one another just as he commanded us. And so here's what John says. Here's the simple truth. Believe and love. Obey that commandment. You might be saying this morning, hey, that's two things. Why is he saying, why is he acting like that's one? Well, for, for John, for, for Jesus especially, what he's saying, no, no, it's, it's one thing. Remember when he came, he said to love God, to love others. He, he called it a new commandment, a singular commandment. Because we can't love others like he's going to call us to without believing in the name of Christ. So these two things go together. They go together. And he's saying obey this. And so what are they real simply this morning? Well, he says, first of all, believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Have faith in Christ. And we're here this morning, we're like, hey, we get that, we hear that, we hear that every week. Well, we need the gospel preached to us, right, every week. We we need to preach to us every day. So believe in the name of Jesus Christ. The significance of that phrase is this. What he's saying is believe in the name of Christ. What's the name of Christ? When we talk about somebody's name, we talk about the name of Jesus, we're talking about his character, right? We're talking about his identity, who he is, that he is God 100% and he's man 100%. That he's the son of God, that he is the Messiah, the one who was promised throughout the Old Testament, everything pointed to him. And has been waiting for him and he has come. And now we're waiting for his coming again. He has died and he has risen. That's the truth that we hold dear to. And so what what John is saying, we got to believe in who he is and his works, what he has done for us. Remember, there was a lot of false prophets during John's day, and they were saying that Jesus was just a God who appeared to be a man. Or some were saying, well, he wasn't God, he was just a man, and that's all he was. John is saying, no, 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 we believe in the true name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's who we believe in, who he really is, who the Bible says that he is, that we believe in that. And so the second part of the commandment is this, to love others and so we see here that these two are brought together they're both part of the will of god and the significance of this is they are both our test of genuine christianity and someone might say well what does a genuine christian look like and you easily turn to first john chapter 3 verse 23 and say listen to this one who believes the name of christ and one who loves others that's a genuine believer that's the test that's the test And so look what he says in verse 24. He says, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so those who obey the commands of God, according to what John says here, have this abiding relationship. Jesus is in us. We are in him. And so this sounds very similar or familiar to some of us. In John 15, 5, remember Jesus. He came. He says, I am divine he says to the church you are the branches he who uh, abides in me and i in him he will bear much fruit and apart from me he can do nothing and so jesus was talking about this abiding relationship and john's talking about it as well and so what's the fruit that is evident in this abiding relationship is john says it's it's faith it's belief in the name of christ and it's love for others And what John says at the end of this verse, he says, we know by this, a common phrase in this text, or by this we know, but we know by this that he abides in us by what? By the spirit whom he has given us. You think about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in believers, dwells in believers, makes his presence known in our life, according to what John says, in how we live our conduct. And it is the Spirit who works in our hearts to lead us to faith in Christ. And so what John is saying here is this is the work of God. To bring us to believe in the name of Christ, it's the work of God. By his sovereign grace. And not only that, the Spirit empowers us to live rightly so that we also would be able to love others. It's it's the gift of the Spirit that is given to us when we are saved so that we can live is what John is saying here, to believe and to love others. And so John says this is evident. And so here's what John wants to do, and he's going to do this a lot in the remainder of this letter, is he's going to fix on this idea of loving one another. As Francis Schaeffer said, this, this is the mark, this is the defining mark of true Christianity, it is love for one another. And so as we think about this simple truth this morning, in the midst of, of celebrating Christ's coming and the, looking forward to that coming again, how shall we live? Well, yes, first of all, we've got to ask ourselves, am I believing in the name of Jesus Christ this morning? Is Christ my Savior? Can we say that? Do we, are we believing that? And I think you might ask, well, why does he say this to a believing people? Why might we preach this to a believing people? I think he also is encouraging the church to say, are you still believing this? Are you still believing in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, for your salvation? Are you still believing? And so we must ask ourselves that. And then he's gonna call us, and this is what I want us to look at the remainder of our time, is is to ask ourselves, are we loving others like Christ has called us to? Are we loving one another. And so do this with me. Look back at verse 11, because that's his focus. The, the product, the, the fruit of one who believes in Christ is that they love like this. So what does this love look like? Well, first, this command. He says in verse 11, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. And so you've heard this. And so what is he referring to? Maybe the Old Testament, Leviticus nineteen eighteen. Remember in chapter 1, he talked about this old commandment. It's a new commandment now. And how is it new? It's because Jesus has embodied it. Jesus has shown us and practiced it. And and he empowers us to truly love one another. And so he says, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And so this is what John is going to say, the mark of a genuine believer, that they love one another. So, So John What is this? What does this love look like? I mean, you think about our society and our culture and the day we live in, if you were to ask the question, what is love? It's like the little cartoons that used to appear, I don't know if they still appear, but used to appear in the the newspaper and it would say, love is this, love is this. And maybe fill in the blank and our society does that in many different ways. You know, the old, old song, all we need is love, love, you know that? yeah but what is that what is that well here's what john's gonna do he's gonna tell us but before he does he's gonna say this is what it's not so john why tell us what it's not is because he wants to warn us because he's saying do not get caught in this pattern Be, be careful that you don't get caught here and so look what he says in verse 12 as he's talking about loving one another. He says, not as Cain. I mean, if you're reading this letter, maybe back then or maybe today, and you're reading this and you're saying, whoa, hold on a second. Well, we're throwing Cain in the picture? Why are we throwing Cain in the picture? What's the purpose? And so look what he tells us. He says, not as Cain, who was of the evil one who slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him and kill him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so what John is saying, we're to love one another, but we've got to be careful of getting into a pattern like Cain did. And you think back to this. In Genesis chapter 4, what happened? Cain brought an offering to the Lord. Abel brought an offering to the Lord. Cain's was rejected, but Abel's was accepted. And how did Cain respond? He was angry. The the Bible says his countenance fell. But what's amazing about this text is we read this. The Lord comes to Cain and says, hey, why are you angry? Why is your countenance down? But he leaves the door open for Cain. I love this text. In verse 7 of chapter 4 of Genesis, let me just read it for you. It says, God says to Cain, if you do well, meaning if you respond well, if you choose rightly, in the midst of your anger, he says, will not your countenance be lifted up? Will not your attitude, will not your heart, will not your disposition, will it not change? And he says, if you do not do well, then sin is crouching at the door. It is waiting, right? It's waiting. And it's desires for you, but you, you must master it. And so despite the opportunity to do what's right, what did Cain do? He, instead of taking the opportunity to choose rightly, what did he do? He killed his brother. The first crime scene that we see in Scripture right there, Genesis chapter 4, and Cain takes his brother's own life. We look at that and we say, okay, well, John, okay, I'm not going to go that far. Okay, why would you have to go to the extreme with this example? Well, I can't think that way. John's saying here, hey, I want you to pay attention because... We all can be prone to this. And I think more specifically, the pattern. I mean, look what Cain did. I mean, if you think about what happens here, he's jealous. What's he jealous about? That God accepted his offering over Cain's. Accepted Abel's over Cain's. And so he's jealous. God, why did you not accept my offering? Why did you accept him? And his jealousy moved to hate. And we can all say, yes, okay, I have battled with jealousy before. I've I've battled with being prone to hate for whatever reason. And what he's saying here is we've got to be careful we don't get into a pattern like that. And yeah, sure, that we don't take somebody's life, that we must be on guard. And so who is Cain? Well, Cain, what he says right here is Of the evil one. Verse 10, he he called them children of the devil. That's who Cain was. And so what does Cain do? Cain practiced works of the devil. That's what those of the devil do. That's what children of the devil do. Is they practice evil works. They're jealous. They're hateful. They even kill. And so what he's saying, he's saying, hey, church, be on guard. That we not be tempted to be jealous. That we would not be tempted to hate like Cain, because that's what children of the devil do. That's what those who practice evil things, that's what they do, but not us. And so look at verse 13. He says, do not be surprised though, brethren, if the world hates you. And so what he's saying here is, hey, okay, listen, this is present in our world. We've seen it with Cain. We see it every day. And he says, do not be surprised by it. When the world hates you. So just as Cain hated Abel, the world will hate the church. They do hate the church. And so what we see with Cain and Abel here is we see unrighteousness hates righteousness. Oh, they can't stand it. Unholy hates holy. Evil hates good. and We see that. And so if we choose the path of Abel, which is life, if we choose the path of believing in Christ, living righteously, loving others, as John has called us to, we should expect hate. We should expect hate. Now, John isn't saying here, hey, listen, don't be, you know, when you watch the news or when you hear of stories like that, don't be desensitized to that where you just, like, blow it off and, well, that's that's just what's gonna happen. I mean, he's not saying that when he says don't be surprised. He says, don't let it throw you off. Don't don't let it, you know, make you think, well, where's this coming from? He wants you to understand this is why. It's a real simple reason. They're of the enemy, and those of the enemy do works of the enemy, and Cain obviously modeled that. And they will hate Christians. And we see that. We see it with every attack against good. We see it every attack against righteousness. We see it, and look at verse 14, 15. He says, we know, though, that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren, and he who does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him, and so John again says, but we know, and so he's saying you have assurance. You can be assured okay, that you have passed from death to life with this, And so I want you to catch what he's doing here, even still with Cain and Abel, is this picture of Cain was death. He's the picture of death, of of lacking the presence of eternal life, but Abel, on the other hand, was the picture of life, who possessed eternal life, the picture of righteousness. And so what he's saying here is that those who have passed out of death into life, they love, they love. Now he's not saying that that loving others is the basis, right? Right? Of, of righteousness, He's not saying loving others is the basis of a relationship with God. So you do these good things and God accepts you. He's not saying that, but it's the evidence. Love is the evidence of a changed life, of one who has passed from death to life. And so here's the question. Again, John is just continually putting before us, where are you? It's, it's a test, right? Have you passed from death to life? And he's saying you will see it by your love. And so what is, what is he saying here with this idea of one who doesn't love is in death and one who hates his brother is a murderer? That's pretty strong. And you know that a murderer does not possess eternal life. So what's he saying here? Well, the first thing I think we've got to understand is, is one who murders, that's, that that's not the unforgivable sin so we've got to have that in our mind to understand that when christ came to take away sin he came to forgive all and so even on a week like this as i was looking through this text and you hear the news of of the likes of a, a very evil man charles manson dying a man who who killed who took lives but yet the the cross of christ christ came and he died to bear even that man's sin it was available to him to be forgiven. And so, yes, even murderers can be forgiven. I don't know where Manson was. with Only God knows where he was. But even the mercy of God is extended to a man like him. And if one believes, even after they've committed such a terrible act, if one believes, they can be forgiven. Their life can be changed. Their heart can be changed. They can So we've got to remember that in this text. That's not what John is implying here. But what is he saying? I think also he's causing us to look again at our own life. He says, Everyone who does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And so what he's saying is is be aware that it's not just the, the physical act of murder that's destroying, but it's hate, it's not loving. Jesus even talked about this in Matthew 5, 21. He says, you've heard that the ancients were told that you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty, and even guilty enough to be taken away to the fiery pit of hell. So what was Jesus saying? Jesus saying if, if there's... If you have hate toward another, he, he's even calling that person a murderer. A murderer. Now, now that, that speaks to us, right? That speaks. If, if we don't have love, then, then one abides in death. So these are strong words from John. If you think about it, hate doesn't just end in, in physical act of murder. It can end in destroying one's character. It can end in destroying one's reputation. It can end in destroying one's self-worth. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that hate does in destroying. But I think what John says here is he says where that is present, just as it is with murder, there is no evidence of eternal life. And so John says, be on guard, be aware. So John, okay, you've given us the warning. You've told us, take heed. May we not get in such a pattern of jealousy, of hate. And you've shown us the difference between one who is in Christ, how they should live. But what does this love look like? And simply this morning, so we're gonna wrap up. Look at verse 16. He says, we know love by this. This is what it looks like. He says that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So he says, here's what real love looks like. Jesus came. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. And his death was just not an example for us. Oh, he wants us to get that. He wants us to understand that. But he came as a sin bearer. He took sin upon himself. He died for us. And so what does Jesus show us in his death? And we've talked about the meaning of it, why he came. But what does his death show us? That, that our love should be a life-giving love. It should be a self-sacrificing, life-giving type of love. In compar- comparison, we look at hate, we look at murder. What does those things do? It's life-taking. But Jesus came, and he loved, and his love was life-giving. And that's what he did. He gave his life up so we may live. And, and that's what love Does And so what does that look like practically for us? Look what he says next in verse 17 through 18. He says, but whoever has the world's goods, sees his brother in need, closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. And so he says, hey, listen, this is what it looks like in real life. This is what it looks like. This is what the relationship with Christ lived out in practice looks like. Now, what I love about these two verses together, check out verse seven, uh, 16 at the very end. Look at what he says. He says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And so what he is talking about love here is he's saying we should love everybody. We should love everybody. Uh, one of the things that's cute in our home right now is our little four-year-old Eliana, every once in a while, she'll, she'll say to Annette or I, she'll she say, mommy or, or daddy, guess who I love? <laughs> And it, right now, it's kind of a guessing game, right, of, okay, what is she going to say? And, you know, sometimes it's mommy or sometimes daddy or Grace, Pierce or Noah. But a lot of times lately, she says, well, I love everybody, <laughs> you know. I love everybody. And it's it like, oh, that's great, Ellie. That's awesome. We should love everybody. And so that's what Jesus has in mind. We, we ought to love the brethren. And so it's kind of this all-inclusive, it's, I love everybody type deal. And we're cool with that, right? I mean, we're all cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love everybody. But look what John does here. And I think this is on very much on purpose. But look what he does in, in verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother. And so what does he do here? He gets particular. He moves from this wide body of people too specific. And to a particular need, right? And he says, what about that person? And so we all can agree, right? We've been there before, maybe there today, that yes, there are people. There's that one person. <laughs> I don't want to love that person. <laughs> I, I, I want to ignore that person. I don't want to have anything to that person. <laughs> and that season definitely... Is upon us where maybe that person shows up, <laughs> right? And that's when it gets tough. And that's what John's saying here. Hey, listen, what about the particulars? What about that person? What about their needs? And he says in verse 18, we're not to love just with mere words, but indeed and Truth. I think the most beautiful example of that, we won't turn there, but Luke 10, right? Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, the priest, and the Levite pre- moved by this guy who's on the side of the road, all banged up, beaten. And that one who comes, throws all the prejudices to the side of the day, and, and sacrifices to give life to this other, to help this other, and he goes above and beyond, and that's what Jesus says we're to do indeed, and then just as we kind of put a bow on this, I, I want you to look at these verses, and I just want you to hear them this morning. I probably shouldn't close my Bible. I probably need to read them, but I want you to just hear these. In verse 19, with this in mind, here's what John wants us to think about as we close. He says in verse 19, we will know by this that we are of the truth. And so think about all that he has said today. Believe in the name of Christ, to love others like I've modeled for you. I've, I've lived it out. I've practiced it. I want you to live in that kind of love for others. He says, we will know by this that we are of the truth. And listen to what he says. He says, and we'll assure our heart before him. You want know, to John's goal in this letter is is assurance, that we be assured that we are found in Christ, that we know Him, that we are a believer. And then he says, in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. And I think... John's simple message there is when we hear the Word of God and wherever we are in the Scripture, that we've got to ask the Lord, Lord, speak to my heart. Speak to my heart. Where where am I? And so today, as we look at this text, as we lie the text before our hearts, before our lives, to say, do I believe in the name of Christ? Is my life modeling the type of love that Jesus called me to? And to say, hey, am I living that way? Now, I will say this too. There are times, and I think John had this in mind too, that the accuser will come and put the full court press on us, right? Now, I've been there before where the, the accuser will just come and make us you know, think that, oh, we're, we're not believing this or we're not doing this. And we look at the word and we think through that and we think of the doubts that we're struggling with. And, and I think what of John's words here is say, listen, God's greater in your heart, and he knows all things, right? He stands for you, right? As that advocate. And so remember that. And so, as a believer, I think we look at this too and, and say, hey, listen, when the accuser does come, hey, here's my life. Here's what Jesus has said is the simple truth for me that I'm going to live by, right? But I think we also have to look at the text and say, listen, okay. All right, well, I got to look at my life. And, and am I living? Am am I truly one who is saved? Do I know Christ? Have I passed from death to life? And we see what he says here. Believe in the name of Christ, have I believed? And then just to look at our life and say, listen, am I loving others the way that he's called me to? So that when he appears again, that we would be filled with confidence, ready to see our king when he comes. And that's what he wants for us.